good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please turn your copies of the Word of God tonight again. 1 Kings 19 from uh, the verse number 15. Remind you again, these are the Lord's words of reply to Elijah. He has brought the charge against the ungodliness of the people, the charge against their covenant breaking. And we see God's response to that here in the verse number 15. And the Lord said unto him, that is unto Elijah, and go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass, that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. And so he departed thence, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him, and cast his mantle upon him. And they left the oxen, and ran after Elijah, and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen, and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. And then he arose, and went after Elijah, and ministered unto him. Amen. May God indeed bless his word to your hearts tonight. We did begin to set the scene as Elijah enters the record of history. It's always important to understand where we are in the timeline of the world when you begin to break into a life story or a consideration of someone's life and times like Elisha here. The king at this time is wicked king Ahab. He has a wife at his side. Her name is Jezebel. And she is again marked by grotesque acts of cruelty, immorality and idolatry. It would seem to be that the majority in the land at this time are at least content with Ahab. Many of whom, of course, would be in full agreement with the worship of Baal. And yet, in 1 Kings 18, we find that God displays his power and his Godhead in a most dramatic sense on Mount Carmel. As the fire comes from heaven and the prophets of Baal are slain. But after that display, we find at the beginning of chapter 19 that the rulers continue in their hardness. Ahab is unmoved. And tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done. His focus again is upon the man and not the God of the man. And Jezebel then, as she breathes out fire and threatenings against Elijah. And she is determined to take his life. At such a time, we find Elijah going away. And I want to be clear, he goes away in the will of God. And we know that because we find him going to Mount Horeb. The Lord, through the medium of the angel of the Lord, in verse number 7, 
provides food and rest and tells him that he must arise and eat because the journey is too great for him. And so it is in the will of God that Elijah goes to Mount Horeb. He is not fleeing in fear. He is going in obedience. And as the prophet of God, he then brings these charges against the people of God. Verse 10 and verse 14, we have the repetition of the charges. They've broken the covenant. They've thrown down the altars and they've killed the prophets. And so we find the scene is grim. Elijah, in verse number 10 of chapter 19, says, I, even I only, am left. That is not a reference to the 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That's a a reference to him being the last of the the prophets, chapter 18, and the verse number 22. Elijah says, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord. These are hard times to be faithful to the Lord. The prevailing climate is of disobedience. It's not easy to be a man of God in such times. Their lives had been taken, slain by the sword. And Elijah finds himself as the last of the prophets at this time. And there are, of course, very striking parallels. As iniquity abounds, the love of many wax is cold. And in our doubts, we may ask, as I'm sure Elijah did, where is God when times are dark and wickedness abounds? Where is God when times are evil and wickedness prospers? It's a question that arises. To be honest about it, we wonder even in such a time as our own. It needs to be thought through. And yet these latter verses of chapter 19, they they furnish us answers as to what is God doing at this time. Well, we saw last time that God is still in control. That's where we ended last time. There were three men to be anointed. They're listed there, verses 15 through 17. You have a reference to Haziel, Jehu, and Elisha. Three men, two kings, one prophet. Three men who in various ways will judge the wickedness of the people. God is not blind to the wickedness of people around us. Judgment may be withheld for a time. And it is in long-suffering mercy. It is not in ignorance of the crimes. It's unthinkable for God to have a blind eye to the sins of this nation. To the countless babies slaughtered. And to the prevailing climate of rebellion. God is not blind to these things. And so in these verses we find that God is going to use two kings to be raised To punish Ahab and Jezebel and to chasten the people. One prophet was also raised who would judge the people by the word. And we're not told that Elisha would have the sword. And yet we have in verse number 17. That those that escape the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And those that escape the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And yet we're not given any detail of Elisha slaying with the sword. And so it would seem to me that what is in view here is that Elisha was responsible to judge the people by the word of the Lord. There's an insightful text in Hosea chapter 6. Or therefore have I hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. That's what Jehovah does. We shouldn't miss this. As God's people, I, I want to pause and I want to, to ask you to pray over this. Do not, do not ask for preachers 
He will say, peace, peace, for there is no peace. It is vital that we have men in our pulpits who will bring the words of judgment against the sin of the people. Sin in the pew, sin outside the church. Preachers who will deliver the word of God in comfort and in judgment. And God is telling Elijah, this is what I'm doing in the midst of wickedness. You see, God is still at work. Though Ahab is reigning and though Jezebel has the the say, yet God has his eye upon these other men and he will raise them. They're not yet kings, but they're going to be raised to be kings and they're going to be raised to be kings as instruments in God's hands and God is still dealing with the affairs of men. That's a tremendous comfort. We should never lose sight of that. We should never presume that God has abandoned his cause. God works with an invisible hand. And he is still in control of the situation. No wickedness abounds. And no sin increases. And so God is still in control. In the second place though, God is also still preserving his cause. Verse number 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. And every mouth which hath not kissed him. We, we have the benefit here of not needing to enter into any conjecture as to the nature of this 7,000. Turn please to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, because these verses from 1 Kings chapter 19 are used by the Apostle Paul in the setting of the ungodliness of the Israel of Paul's day. You know the, the context here. Paul has been dealing with the benefits of the gospel and the unbelief of Israel. And the question has been, it's been servicing time by time in Romans. And the question is, well, what about God's faithfulness to Israel? In verse 1, I say, then hath God cast away his people? God forbid. And the issue here is, it's about national Israel. In verse number 2, Paul says, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture saith unto Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel. And by the way, that's not a proof text that what's happening in 1 Kings 19 is not Elijah running away in fear and disobedience, but Elijah acting as God's servant against the people. He's praying judgment against the people. He's bringing the charges. He makes intercessions to God against Israel. But God comes and says in verse number, or what does he say? Well, Elijah says in verse 3, Lord, they've killed thy prophets and dig down the altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee, have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then... At this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So the remnant of Paul's day is, is drawn attention to as a direct parallel to the remnant in Elijah's day. Indicating to me that those in view in 1 Kings 19, the 7,000, they were those who could be described by the terms of a remnant according to the election of grace. They were those who by the grace of God were true to Jehovah. And that is a tremendous encouragement. Because in the darkest days of human history, the gospel light is never fully extinguished. No matter how dark the days get, 
No matter how, how dim the gospel light may burn, there is still a remnant according to the election of grace. And so it is in our day. And so it is in our generation. And what are the features of this remnant? Well, go back to 1 Kings 19. How do we see the remnant? What are the characteristics of the remnant? Well, they are a remnant by grace. And so what do they do by grace? Well, uh, verse number 14 tells us what the opposite do. The children of Israel, they forsake the covenant. They throw down the altars of God and they slay the prophets of the sword. So that's a description of the ungodly. But by contrast, there are these 7,000 and they've not bowed the knee to Baal. So when you look at the contrast, you can then see the characteristics of the remnant according to election of grace. And if we claim the same term for ourselves, then there should be certain things that are clear regarding our own characteristics. They are faithful in works. The ungodly have forsaken the covenant. That's an Old Testament term for disobedience. The covenant was kept by obeying the law of God. And so here we find the ungodly, they've forsaken the covenant. Oh yes, it's a broader term than that, but I'm just keeping it very simple. They are guilty of disobeying the word of God. The remnant, however, by grace are an obedient people. And sure, we, we still see that in the word of God. When, when, when God works in a soul's heart, he gives them a love for Christ. And those who love Christ keep his commandments. There is obedience to the word of God. The, the Lord's word comes first. Not the will of the multitudes, not the prevailing climate of the age, but rather what saith the Lord's word. That's what governs our conduct, that's what governs our thinking. And if we're this remnant, then we are marked by obedience to the word of God. Faithful in their works. Faithful in worship. Again, the contrast is here. They have thrown down nine altars. The place of sacrifice. The altar, the place where a substitute was slain. And we have in the previous chapter the account of Elijah rebuilding one of those altars, the altar of the Lord, upon which an animal was laying. And the fire of God comes down, consuming the animal and not the sinner. And so whenever the altars are broken down, it is a reflection of those who, who do not want to worship God in his ordained way and who do not want to receive forgiveness of sins through the death of a substitute. It is fearful that there are many who profess to be of the remnant according to the election of grace. They profess to be God's people and yet they have no time for Christ and they have no time for the blood sacrifice. They want religion, they want allegiance to Jehovah, but they don't want the altars of the Lord. They don't want anything to do with blood and substitution and all of these things. And so the hymn books, hymn books are removing reference to the blood of Christ. We don't want to sing about these things. We want to, we want to think, say things that are pleasant and easily understood. And there's a, a, a moving away from the centrality of Christ's sacrifice. I tell you, the remnant according to the election of grace delights in the cross. They glory in the cross. They rejoice in Christ's blood. That's what it is to be a remnant according to the election of grace. They are faithful in works. They are faithful in worship. And they are faithful toward the word of God. And the ungodly kill the prophets of the sword. 
rejecting the word of God, they will not hear God's word. Let me just be very pointed here. Young people, and perhaps others here, whenever, whenever you close your ear to the word of God, it is always a sign of spiritual ill health. Those who are the remnant according to election of grace, by grace they love the word of God and they do not kill the prophet. And so we have the identity of this 7,000. When I come to the house of God here, it thrills my soul that there are those who have determination to worship God, who delight in the cross, who want to hear the word of God. And though I see all of the ungodliness around, I delight that I come to the house of God here and I see the signs of those who are the remnant according to the election of grace. And that thrills my soul because though the world is dark, there's a, a light burning here. As God in his mercy is preserving a people unto himself. And that ought to thrill your soul. You don't come in here and say, oh, but aren't we just a few? You come in and you see the signs of those who are not breaking God's word. And you see the signs of those who are the recipients of God's grace. And you praise God for his mercy. That's a blessing. So God is still in control in dark times. God is still preserving his cause. And thirdly, God is still challenging unbelief. And God is still offering mercy. You see, we come to Elisha now. Where we're setting the scene for a study of his life. His presence and his coming is a lesson to us of how God responds in wicked days. Verse 16. The very last words. To Elijah thou shalt anoint Elijah to be prophet in thy room, in your place. Remember Elijah's disappointment, verse 4. He says, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. His ministry, as he saw it, had very little visible effect. He had been faithful. Yet nothing seemed to change. And here God encourages him, your work will be complete. Another will follow. Elijah, Elijah, sorry, he says, I'm the last. And God says, no, you're not. The word of God will still be pronounced and proclaimed in the nation. God is saying, I am not removing the prophet from the midst of the people. I will still speak. God is still challenging unbelief and God is still offering mercy. You see, note here that God's grace is seen in preserving the word. Now we will examine Elisha's ministry and we will see that there are signs of judgment. But there is in Elisha's ministry the heartbeat of God's grace. And not only to the Jew, but again we'll see in Elisha's ministry there's, yeah, there's mercy to the Gentiles. It points to Christ. Elisha is proclaiming the gospel in the most wicked of days. In Ahab's days, Elisha preaches the gospel. God's grace is seen in the preservation of the word. It's not about a particular man, but it's the fact that the word of God is, is opened and available to people. That's a, that's a mark of God's grace. That the word of God is still being proclaimed as a sign that God has not abandoned the nation or abandoned this place. People Take it for granted. Get up on the Sunday morning. Oh, where are we going to hear the word today? And there's a, a sense of oh, familiarity with the preaching of the gospel. 
The presence of the gospel is a ground for hope that God has not abandoned this nation on wicked days. So, of course, the gospel will still be preached in this nation. You think about the countries in Europe around the time of the Reformation. You think of the days of the Puritans in England. You think of the the rise of the Lutherans in, in Germany. You think of what God did in Geneva through Calvin. Switzerland through Zwingli. Those nations at that time would have presumed that there would never ever be a time when the word of God was not being preached. And yet, over recent centuries, the candle has burned incredibly dim in those very nations. Oh yes, it's still flicker. We praise God for that. But it has not had the fire that it had in the days just following the Reformation. And so we should never be content and presume that there will always be preaching in this place. There will always be preaching in this land. There can well be a day that comes when there's a famine, not of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, Amos 8 verse 11. Such a famine can happen. And the very fact that Elisha is still preaching the word of God in Ahab's time is a reminder to us that God is still being gracious in challenging unbelief and in offering mercy. But there's something before that. Yes, God is preserving his word, but also God has been preparing the way. God has been working in Elisha long before he begins to preach. Note verse 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. What's the significance here? Well, I believe we have evidence here of God preparing Elisha many years before the events here in 1 Kings 19. Shaphat I suggest to you, is one of the 7,000 who's not bowed the knee to Baal. And I think there's good evidence for that. The birth of Elisha. A happy day in, in any home. A new son is born. And the question comes, well, what are we going to name our son? Nothing like going to a book of popular names or going on the internet and finding those popular names. No, names at this time had significance. And so whenever the answer the question comes to Shaphat, what are you going to name your son? He says, he will be called Elisha. And perhaps someone said to him, don't, don't you want something with Baal in there? That ain't more popular than Elisha. And he said, no, his name shall be Elisha. For God is my salvation. And his name will indicate what is true in my own heart and life. That's the significance here. And I'm not reading into that. That was the nature of the names that were given in the word of God. God is my salvation. And it's a personal testimony from Shaphat that he's come to know God personally and powerfully as his saviour. Furthermore, we find in the experience of Elisha, we find signs of a young man who's been raised in a very particular way. He's a diligent young man. He's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Some of the commentators make the point that the rain has just come. 
And here we find Elisha immediately going to the task of plowing, not wasting time, not missing the opportunity. Again, we're speculating here, but, but there is clearly some significance. We also find him with respect for his parents. Verse 20, he leaves the oxen, runs after Elijah and says, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. This is not delayed obedience. We'll see more of that later on. This is a man who respects his father and mother. He does not treat them callously or carelessly. What is a love for them? Honors them. Does not use them to hold him back from obedience. But has this respect. He's respect for the workplace. He's respect for his home place. And he's respect for the word of God. Elijah comes and puts the mantle upon him. Elijah is a despised man. But I believe that Elijah has been raised in a climate where the word of God is reverenced. And so when Elijah comes, Elisha knows who he is. Understands what is involved here. And we'll, we'll see more of this later on. But for now, I simply note that I believe that we have an example of Elisha, a man who honors the word of God and honors God's prophet. Modern day equivalent, when we need young people. We need young people who have a reverence for the workplace, a reverence in the home, and a reverence for the word of God, a reverence for God's prophet, Christ himself, the prophet of God. That reverence, those are the young people that God will then thrust forth into service. Those young people have proved themselves in the workplace, have shown themselves to be honorable in the home place, and have been raised with a desire and a respect and a reverence for the word of God. But what encourages my soul is that this had been going on in Shaphat's home for years without having any awareness of what God had in purpose for Elisha. It's an encouragement that God is working in the secrecy of the home place and God is working in the lives of young individuals. So at the right time, at God's time, they'll be thrust forth to do something for the Lord. Where is God in difficult times? Where is God in dark times? God is still in the throne. He's reigning in the big things. He's reigning over kings and prophets. He's still at work in a remnant. And though we look at the scenes around us and we wonder, we have by faith the assurance of God's continuing grace and His purpose. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.